Uh, but this morning, as we look at our study, we've started last week looking at this topic of biblical theology, which is just a fancy way to say how the Bible fits together. What is the, the storyline of the Bible? How does it all fit together? And so we want to make sure we understand the whole overarching story of the Bible, not just each individual part of it. And when you read through the Bible, you really begin to see that the Bible structures itself. It, it points out to us what the important things are. And as we begin to see that more and more, we see how it's, how it's one unified book and how it really does all fit together and really all points to Jesus in that way. And the way the Bible structures itself is through an idea or through the, the concept of covenants. Uh, there are several covenants in the Bible, and we'll look at them individually. Uh, but that's really the backbone, you could say, of the Bible. As God makes different covenants with people, those are really the, you could say, the different sections of the Bible as you move through the Bible. And so, for example, basically all of the Old Testament is structured around the covenant that God makes with the people at Mount Sinai, the covenant with Israel, the Sinai covenant. Uh, so you have the people, they're commanded to obey, and that's what they strive for, and we see them start out well. Uh, and then they disobey that covenant. God sends them leaders, uh, prophets who tell them, hey, return to following this commitment that you made to the Lord, again, based on those covenant promises and requirements. And uh, they tell them of judgment if they don't or blessing if they do. And then, really, we see the, the Old Testament draw to a close with this promise of the, the new covenant that's coming and how that covenant that God made at Sinai is going to then we're going to get a new covenant. And so that's just one example of how the Bible tends to structure around these covenants. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at two of the covenants. We'll walk through six. There are six covenants generally agreed upon. Uh, there's the covenant of creation or the covenant with Adam. There's the covenant with Noah. There's the covenant with Abraham. The covenant with Israel, or the Sinai Covenant, sometimes called the Mosaic Covenant. There's the covenant with David, the Davidic Covenant, and then there's the New Covenant, uh, which we see prophesied in the Old Testament and then enacted beginning in the New Testament. So those are the six covenants. That's where we're going to look the next couple weeks. And as we kind of look at these, we'll see how they all fit together and how they flow together, and especially how they, they don't just structure the Bible, they point us to Jesus in all of them. And so this morning, I want to think about really the first two. And here's just an example. I gave you one example. But if you were to look at Matthew 1, 1, you don't have to turn there, but I will just read Matthew 1, 1. It, the, the New Testament starts by saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so at the very beginning of the New Testament, as the New Testament, Matthew, the author here, and inspired by God, he writes about what Jesus is doing, how he's fulfilling the things in the Old Testament. He structures it a certain way. He's saying, listen, these are the important people in the Old Testament, right? Two of them. 
David and Abraham. God made a covenant with both of them. And Jesus is in that line, and he's going to fulfill and uh, further those promises that God made. And so even in that, we see another example of how these covenants that God makes with these people uh, really structure the Bible and help, help us understand it. So let's walk through the covenants. I'll give you a brief definition, and then we'll look at the creation covenant. A covenant is a solemn commitment guaranteeing promises or obligations undertaken by one or both covenant parties. Uh, and it's sealed with an oath. And usually there's a covenant sign as well. So basically, yeah, I'll say it again. It's a promise, essentially. Uh, but it's a covenant. It's a solemn commitment guaranteeing promises or obligations. And it's undertaken by one or both parties of the covenant. So I'm not sure how much I'll go into that definition, but there's the definition and you'll kind of see it play out as we look at these covenants. So if you have a Bible, you can look at Genesis chapter 1. We see this covenant in creation start at the very beginning of the Bible. God makes a covenant with Adam and with Eve. And we read this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. So Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And the word of the Lord says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over, the, er, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living being, every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what do we read about what God's saying to Adam and Eve? We see a lot of those elements just from that definition, right? God's uh, entering into a commitment, you might say a relationship with them. Um, he's giving them promises. He's giving them obligations as well. And God says he's going to make Adam and Eve in his likeness after his image. He says they're going to have dominion over the earth, and he blesses them, right? And so we see all those aspects. Those are elements of a covenant, even though it doesn't use the word covenant here. This is really the only one that doesn't use that word, but I told my kids the other day, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And so that's what we... that's really what we see here. This, and especially, you'll see it has a lot of similarities to the covenant with Noah, where that is called a covenant. It uses a lot of the same words. So, But really, what's going on? God creates Adam and Eve. He gives them responsibilities. There are consequences for disobeying it or for obeying. And that's uh, the beginning. That's how all of humanity is established, is in this covenant with God. He's given them really, the kingdom here on earth. This is how God's establishing his 
his rule on earth, how he's going to spread his uh, perfect Edenic garden throughout the world, right? It's by giving it to Adam and Eve and giving them responsibilities and really rulership, right? They're supposed to have authority and not just any authority, but God's authority. They're supposed to represent him and rule like he would over the earth. And so we see things like Adam's called the, the son of God. We see in the genealogy there in Genesis chapter 5, if you were to flip over, uh, or even in the genealogy in, chapter, in, uh, in Luke, Adam's called the son of God, and he's put there to rule over the world. That's how the Bible describes it. And so even in those aspects that the, you know, when you phrase it like that, the Son of God ruling over the earth, well, that makes us think about something. That makes us think about what's coming, right? We know that Adam failed at this, and because of that, all of his descendants, everyone who's connected with Adam, falls into sin, that we no longer represent God like we should. But we also know, just like the failure of Adam brought death to all people, the obedience of the true Son of God, the fullness of the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of God, he brings life to everyone who's connected to him. And so even in this aspect of the beginning, where we see Adam and what he was supposed to be like, what his role was, it's, even, it's preparing us for when we get to Jesus and what really the new creation is going to be like, where the Son of God is going to rule over the world. And he's not going to fail at that. Jesus is perfectly righteous, perfectly good, and he does. Well, we still wait for it now. He started to establish his kingdom now, and we wait for him to return to completely establish his good kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. And so Jesus is the Son of God, not created like Adam, but God himself. And so we see even in this covenant how this is how God started it in the beginning. And we see the trajectory of where things are going, how it's moving towards Jesus, even here at the beginning. Even when Adam and Eve fail to live up to those standards, it starts to prepare us, hey, this is the perfect ideal. And as we read through the Bible, we're waiting to see the person who shows up who's going to fit this perfect ideal that God establishes. So that's the covenant with Adam. And what do Adam and Eve do? Uh, they, they break the covenant, right? They sin, they don't obey God, they eat the fruit, and they experience the punishment of death that God said would come if they disobeyed. And like I said, that doesn't just affect them, that affects every human after them because they are was talked about in Romans 5, they're the covenant representative or the covenant head. And so because everyone is connected to Adam, everyone's, you could say, related to him, that's probably not the technical way to say it, but because everyone's connected to him, everyone shares in the punishment as well, that we're just like Adam. We would have done the same thing he did, uh, and we fall and don't keep the covenant with God. And so we can't rule and be God's representatives here in the world like we're supposed to. So then what happens? If you want to flip over to Genesis chapter 8, uh, this is right after the flood, after God uh, tells Noah to build the ark, and the flood happens, and they come off the ark. God makes a covenant with Noah, right? He's wiped everyone out, 
except for Noah and his family, and he establishes a new covenant, the next covenant, with Noah. And so we read about it here in Genesis chapter 8, starting at verse 20, and then down through, really I'll read through, chap, uh, through verse 13 there in the next chapter. So it says this, uh, Genesis chapter 8, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, offered the burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again, ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Sounds a lot like what he said to Noah, or to, to Adam. The fear of you, verse 2, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be for food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not, shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And so then we see, we continue to read about some of the details. We read about the rainbow there as the sign of the covenant in those following verses, but I'll stop there. And so what do we see with this covenant? God wiped out the earth. He starts over essentially. And Noah comes off the ark. God makes the covenant. And there are some things that are very similar to the covenant that God made with Noah. He says the same thing, or I did it again, to the covenant that God did with Adam, right? He says the same thing, be fruitful and multiply. And so there's some similarities, but it's, it's also very clear that there's some differences, right? That no longer does he tell Noah you're going to rule and have dominion over everything, but instead he talks about how the animals will be afraid of you. And he tells him that, not only can they eat the plants, but they can also eat the animals. He tells them that there's a price to be paid whenever life is taken. Uh, and so we get the sense very clearly that this is different. There's something different about this. And what's different is that even though God has wiped everyone out and started over, essentially, that that doesn't clean the slate, that sin still exists, right? Sin is still there. You can't put it back in the bottle, so to speak. It's uh, inherent. God talks about how it's the intention of man's heart from his youth, we read. And so it's a part of human nature. And so God makes this covenant knowing full well that that's what humanity is like. And he says, I'm going to be merciful. I know humans are like this. I know that they're sinful and they're not going to perfectly follow me. But I'm not going to wipe them out. And that's, that's essentially the covenant. It's a covenant of preservation, essentially, for humanity. And so that's, uh, that's a really good thing, right? That God says, hey, I'm going to be merciful even though people sin against me. 
And we see that even today. God's mercy and God's patience is extremely long, extremely long. And so in this covenant, we, we really see that this is, well, we read it there. It's not just to Noah, but it's also to his, to his descendants, to his offspring. It says there in verse 9. And so this isn't just about Noah, right? This is really a covenant that God makes with all of humanity again. Kind of like with Adam, it's all of humanity. Here again with Noah, we see a covenant with all of the world. And so some people call this a general covenant or a common covenant because it's with everyone, not just with specific people. And so because of that, that really that teaches us some things about what God's doing here, right? That because this is a covenant with the whole world, it means that everyone is responsible to God in a certain way, right? Sometimes we'll hear the, the phrase, you'll hear it said, that you shouldn't expect non-Christians to, to live like Christians. And in a lot of senses, that's true, right? We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't follow God don't follow God, right? But at the same time, that doesn't mean that they're not responsible or they just get a free pass in God's eyes because they're not Christians. Because this covenant is still with everyone. Everyone has certain responsibilities to God, whether you call yourself a Christian or not. That's what the Bible is teaching here and so God's mercy, in other words, shouldn't be interpreted as He's okay with everything I'm doing. No, it just reminds us He's good and He's merciful. That's who He is. But we need to respond to Him. Uh, so that's one thing about this covenant. But this covenant is also one of the places that people look at the establishment of government in the world. Uh, so where do I get that? Well, I think it's right here. When when God forms this relationship with, uh, with Noah and forms his covenant with people in general, it sounds a lot like what he says about the government in Romans 13, or in Romans in general. You remember, what are the responsibilities of the government? Well, they, they punish evil and they bear the sword, right? Those are the phrases we see in Romans. Well, here, what do we see? We see that Whoever sheds, sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. We see the, the punishment of evil. We see really the, the seedling, so to speak, of the establishment of government, of society, of how culture is going to work, that God has put government in place in order to do those certain things. God says, I'm not going to wipe out the world but I'm going to put something in place so that evil will be taken care of. That's originally what government is supposed to do. I think we see that here in this passage. To One responsibility of the government is to protect life, right? That's essentially what this is. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, right? Protecting life. Uh, to not view it as something that's just you can throw away without consequence, right? So that's one aspect of the government people look at. But there's, there's a second instruction, too, for the government from these verses, and that is to promote human flourishing. We see that in verse 7. When it says, and you be fruitful and multiply, that you is not, I know it's hard in English, but that's really y'all, right? It's plural. <laughs> y'all be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it, right? So, so this isn't just like something specific to Noah, 
right? This is something for everyone, that everyone is supposed to be flourishing. I mean, that's essentially what it is. And as God is establishing government in this other sense, I think he's also saying that, hey, this is a responsibility of government as well, to promote human flourishing. So that would mean things like, don't put laws that hinder that, but actually put laws in place that promote that, that promotes human flourishing. Uh, obviously, the debate is what promotes human flourishing. Like, that's what all the debate is. Uh, if you really think about it, where does all the conflict come from in government between Democrats, Republicans, independents, and really every individual person? It's because they have different ideas of what is actually going to help people to flourish, what's actually going to be good. But at the core of it, we, we need to at least agree that, hey, that's the point of government, is to promote the good of the society, of people, of the flourishing of the people, right? We have to have that understanding. I think we see that here in the Bible. And so we see that. I want to point that out from this covenant. But just think about this covenant, and we'll kind of wrap up here, but think about how this covenant points to Jesus. We did this with Adam. But if this is a covenant for the whole world, right, there, there are ways that we definitely think about Jesus from this. You could think about the flood, right, how God saved Noah through the flood. That definitely has implications about judgment and salvation, and we see that talked about in the New Testament. But just think about this idea of human flourishing. Like, where do we find human flourishing showing up in the Bible? Well, ultimately, it comes from Jesus. You remember what Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And how is it that Jesus actually brings that about? Well, one, he does it by dealing with sin, the thing that actually causes death, literally, and leads to suffering and brokenness and all these things, right? But it's also through how Jesus brings the perfect government. You remember the prophecy about Jesus? The government will be on his shoulders. Like he's going to rule, again, back to this idea, he's going to rule over the earth. And he's going to rule in righteousness, perfect justice. Everything will be perfectly as it should be when Jesus comes back. And that's when there will be perfect flourishing and ultimate goodness and joy in life. And so even in this, uh, in this covenant that's uh, you might say generic in some senses, we still get pointed to Jesus and how really we're still waiting for him, right? Because we get these instructions about what communities and societies and cultures are supposed to look like, and we, we know that's not, that's not how it is. Uh, really, in a lot of ways, it's never been like that. It's never lived up to that ideal. And so we're still waiting. We've seen Jesus come and start that, and we're waiting for him to return and complete that work of bringing the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, so we'll stop there this morning. That gets us through two covenants. Those are, again, the, the kind of general ones. Next time we'll try to look at the specific ones that God makes with individual people, with his chosen people, and think about how that connects the Bible and how it points to Jesus. Uh, but let's pray this morning, and then we will continue. Father God, we are thankful for your word we are thankful for teaching us about the Bible, that we can understand not just the individual parts of it, but that we can understand how it all fits together and how it all points to you and teaches us about you. I pray that we will 
continue to grow in our understanding and love you more and more and see you more and more as we read throughout the whole Bible and that you will give us a hunger and a desire for your truth and for, uh, for the goodness and the righteousness and the joy and the life that you give and that you bring to us. God, I pray that you will bless this time of fellowship, bless this food, that we would have strength to serve you and that we would honor you this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.